This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. By the way, uh, it just so happens, on this day in 1967, Vern Gagne, maybe because it was his birthday, won his eighth AWA World Championship. Um, also, on this day, there was um, a great deal of aviation news in history, uh, which we'll tell you about throughout the program. I am really thrilled uh, to be able to be joined by one of the great aviation journalists out there, not only an aviation journalist and air safety specialist, but the author of The Crash Detectives and the forthcoming Unmasking Boeing. Um, I'm very pleased to be joined live from Europe by Christine Negroni. Christine, thanks so much for uh, joining me on the radio. Good morning. I have to tell you what a throwback that was to the beginning of my career to hear that song. When I was a puppy and just starting out as a broadcast journalist, one of the first stories I ever did was about a hot air balloon, and I used that music in it. So ah. you just took me back many, many years. The fifth dimension, how wonderful. It's, what a great way to start my day. Serendipitous, uh, absolutely. Sure so, is. Um, before we discuss the very serious issue of what's going on with Boeing, it was 105 years ago that Count Camillo Negroni invented the cocktail, the Negroni. People have been enjoying them. It's believed that it was in Florence. People have been enjoying them ever since. It, it, serious question. Is Count Negroni an ancestor of yours? Okay, so this is, a, this is a question you have to speak to my cousin about it, who wrote a book on the Negroni cocktail. Oh. My family is Puerto Rican, but we actually came to Puerto Rico via Corsica and the Negronis of Corsica, which at the time was Italian. Um, so I, I know that somewhere along the line, all those Negronis are connected. We're all connected. And that cocktail story is a subject on which my cousin will bore you to tears, which is why it's never retained to me why there's this dispute over the creation of the Negroni cocktail. So God forbid I should actually weigh in on the wrong side of that. I do like a good Negroni. Well, of course you do. the rest of the world does too. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. Well, you have to put me in touch with your cousin. We'll continue that on uh, on another day. <laughs> oh, and I'm sure um, <laughs> the fact that you have uh, such a, a smart and I'm sure handsome cousin has no um, no bearing on the fact that that's why you're in, in Europe right now. All right. 
you um, <laughs> you wrote this terrific op-ed, um, it was terrifically informative and yet succinct about how airlines, passengers, and Boeing are dealing with the 737 MAX crisis. Now, before we talk about the latest with the 737 MAX, l- let's go back to when most folks realized there was a problem. The door plug on an Alaska Airlines Boeing 737 MAX blew out mid-flight, terrifying everybody that was on board and forced an emergency landing. Obviously, I think most people realize airplanes can be complicated things. Mistakes happen. Accidents happen. From your research, is this an isolated incident for the Boeing 737 MAX, or were there broader problems with this particular type of plane? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. And, and and let me just say one thing about what I have learned in my 25 years of, of writing about aviation accidents. And that is no accident is is the result is a new thing. There is no such thing. We used to say there's no such thing as a new accident. Most every accident, I should say, has a precursor, a little flag, a little red flag that says, hmm, you may want to look at this twice. And this has been my experience. So when we talk about the door plug of the 737 MAX, this particular iteration of a problem on the MAX may have been new, but the, but the core problem, which is how this airplane was being assembled, is not new. And we know this because back in, in 2000, uh, let's see, we were talking t- 2018, 2019 was the max. I think the testimony that Ed Pearson gave to Congress was either in 2019 or 2020. But this was the gen, you'll remember, he got a lot of attention mm-hmm. at the time. He was the fellow who was a manager in the Boeing uh, 737 production facility in Renton, Washington. And he had written in a letter to Boeing in 2018, written a, a letter to his superiors saying, I no longer feel comfortable about this way this airplane is being produced. I, for the first time in my life, I'm telling my family not to fly on the 737 MAX. And this was before the very first MAX crashed. Now, I'm going to pause here. And if I'm going, no, no, I'm getting too deep in the weeds, please stop me. But um, th- th- this was before the very first crash, which was not the one in Indonesia. This was not a result of a door plug. I want to be clear on that. This is the res- result of other issues. But Ed Pearson's uh, comments in his letter to the managers and later on in his Congress, in his testimony to Congress was, this is not just a matter of bad software. It's not just a matter of bad design. It's a matter of rushing the airplane through its assembly process as well. So everyone, you know, the general public, we see this, Congress, they take action on fixing the problem that brought the both the Lion Air crash uh, that resulted in the Lion Air crash and then the um, Ethiopian Airlines crash five months later. And, you know, and then they looked at the software and they redid it and blah, blah, blah. But what do we see now uh, on January 5th and in the months leading up to it had nothing to do with software, but with production problems, precisely as this former uh, plant manager had said would happen. The plane was not being produced in a responsible manner. If people... And this, and, and this, sorry, and so let's just put that all in one ball is to say when there are little flags like that, you can't just blithely go on your way as if oh, it's okay, it's safe enough. And Boeing has learned, should have learned that 
earlier, and it is now learning that the hard way. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Christine Negroni. She's a journalist, a published author, a speaker, and a broadcaster who specializes in aviation and travel. Christine, in your piece for the New York Post, you reference those two 737 MAX crashes in Indonesia and Ethiopia, and you refer, and I, I love, as terrible as it is, I love your use of language here, you refer to this particular plane as a recidivist doom machine that's causing turbulence for nearly every entity associated with it. My question is, uh, understanding the problems with the production of the 737 MAX, is this problem possibly pervasive throughout all of Boeing aircrafts, or is it likely only limited to the 737 MAX? Well, and this is the subject of the, of the book I'm writing now, which is called Unmasking Boeing. There's a common... Um, perception, the result of a book that came out uh, about Boeing a, a year or two ago, that everything sort of went awry when uh, McDonnell Douglas acquired Boeing, when Boeing and when they merged, let's just say for the sake of clarity, and um, and that everything went wrong from that point on. So we, they sort of mark the old Boeing and the new Boeing as sort of happening around 2000, 2001. I don't think that that's actually accurate. And I think that the rot at Boeing began before then. And, um, and, I, and I bring that up because my, the first air disaster I ever reported when I was working at CNN was the crash of TWA Flight 800. Now, everyone in New York certainly remembers sure. that accident. And, the, you know, when I, and, and I wrote my first book, Deadly Departure, about that accident. And as I went back and looked at that accident, I discovered that beginning in the 60s, there were issues with the design of the Boeing 747. And the way the airplane was designed, it allowed the fuel in the center tank to get hot, so hot that it could self-ignite or ignite with a very, very small amount of energy. And that even though TWA Flight 800 was the most spectacular and certainly the most uh, created the most fatalities of any previous incident involving the fuel tank, it was not the first. It was the 13th commercial aircraft to have a fuel tank explode. Wow. And so the point of that was, and I talk about this in my book, Deadly Departure. Christine, did I lose you? All right, we're going to try and uh, reconnect with uh, with Christine. Christine, uh, try and reconnect if you can hear me. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, I'm looking I'm at... I'm here, but you okay. don't hear me, I got right? you now, Christine. Got you now. Okay, sorry about that. But the point was that uh, that Boeing knew about this risk on the on the fuel tanks, and it wasn't just the 747, but almost all of the airplanes they produced with the center wing tank had the same problem. And so, so we're talking about a decision made in the 60s with consequential deaths. I do not believe that Boeing turned bad 
at the point of McDonnell Douglas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Might have turned worse, but but its decisions were beginning to be made on the cost on a cost basis, the life and death decisions on a cost basis long before that. So the it sounds like there's a very good chance that Boeing. Because, look, obviously they're in the business to make money. They're accountable to shareholders. They're a big company and a very profitable company. They may be cutting corners in the production of these airplanes in order to save a few bucks. You know, it's a complicated situation because, of course, every business has to make decisions based on what is the cost and what is the benefit. And even regulators, at the, you know, even the, the folks at the FAA, when they decide whether a, an improvement or a safety feature will be approved or mandated, they are also required by law to go back and take a look and do the cost-benefit analysis. How much will this cost the industry? What is the you know, the benefit and they give each human life a value, you know, how much money is this going to cost versus how many people will potentially die. So it's a reality. Look, you make that decision. I make that decision. Putting a child in a child seat on an airplane is the decision parents make every day, right? How much am I going to pay for a seat to put my under two-year-old car seat in an airplane? Or how much am I going to roll the dice that this airplane is likely not going to encounter a problem in which my toddler will be thrust out of my arms. This is, uh, I'm not saying this to be glib. This is a decision everybody makes every day. So it's not so simple as to say they're bad, you know, because they've made this decision. But in some cases, I think the argument can be made. Yes, they made the wrong decision and they knowingly made the wrong decision. And in the case of the fuel tanks, I think in the case of the 737 MAX, I think in the case of the Dreamliner and its and its uh, smoky battery problem, which grounded that aircraft for four months, Boeing made the wrong decision. In the case of Boeing, last week they dismissed the head of the 737 MAX division. As far as you're concerned, from what you can tell, is that shark bait? Is this someone that's being uh, uh, set up as the fall guy? Are there broader, are there higher up heads that need to roll? Or would that one departure be create a significant enough culture change in the company to produce safer aircraft? Well, that's a question I don't want to answer with with a lot of precision because this is not my specialty. How companies are managed, corporate politics, not my area. I know safety. But I will say of the people who do, you know, the financial analysts and the people who are airline, you know, uh, consultants and all of that, a lot of them say when they see uh, Calhoun, the chairman of uh, Boeing, walking the factory floor on a regular basis, telling people how important safety is, then they'll say, then they'll know that, you know, that the company has made a turnaround. Many years ago, I was asked to uh, work as a consultant for airlines, instituting a certain area of, of safety called safety management systems. And we were to go out to various airlines and um, speak to their employees about how to incorporate these safety management systems another part of the alphabet soup of airline safety. But we, our instructions were, we did not even begin to work until the airline executive, mm. the chief executive was standing next to us saying, this person speaks for me. And that is a truism about safety and a lot of other executive decisions, I would imagine. 
that unless you know it's important to the people who count the beans, unless you know it's their desire that safety be the priority, then you can't have other people fall in line. Christine, what, obviously you fly yourself. I'm curious what you do differently as a consumer with your knowledge now. Should people avoid Boeing aircraft? Should people avoid, uh, you know, any other type of aircraft that's shown uh, systemic problems? Or is avoiding the 737 MAX sufficient for your purposes? I know you said everybody has to make that decision. I'm curious what kind of decisions you make. Well, you know, you have to look. I think what you really have to do here is look in terms of um, risk and benefit. And and that would be that, every, you know, when I, you know, I don't want to start off on a tangent, but the fact is I am far more worried when I ride my bike or try and cross the street in the United States of America than I am in any aircraft, because where I think Americans and, and you know, I say this, I'm spending a great deal of time in Spain, that where I think America really, really falls short is in protecting the lives of people on the ground because we have a runaway death rate with uh, auto accidents and a predominance sure. of cars over over people in America. So, you know, the, it, 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 I just want to put in perspective, aviation is really the safest form of transportation. Commercial aviation is really the safest form of transportation. But that does not, you know, and the and the the joke is the airline pilot who, when you land, says, uh, "We've arrived at your destination, and the safest part of your journey has come to an end." That is that is true, um, but but that doesn't give a pass sure. to airlines and airline manufacturers and airline you know uh, uh, mechanics and pilots and and flight attendants, all of whom's job is to ensure that that level of safety does not deteriorate. And I think with the 737 MAX, we have seen the level of safety in aviation deteriorate. And as I said in the New York Post article, this is especially a problem for us in the Americas, because that's where this airplane is flying the most. Uh, That is for sure. Um, What about from a regulatory perspective? What would you like to see the government, whether it's uh, the FAA or Congress, do to make sure that uh, that Boeing and maybe other companies has to get their act together a bit more in production of these aircraft? Is it one thing? Is it a series of things? What needs to be done differently? Well, it's a huge, huge ball of wax because – uh, Boeing and Airbus, you know, all of the man, not even those manufacturers, but the manufacturers of every product, pharmaceuticals, pick a thing, uh, you know, they're all very much um, uh, revolving door with regulators and their contributions help people get elected. And so it's a very sticky situation because we see that uh, many of the changes that were made that allowed Boeing 737 MAX to get certified didn't, uh, they didn't, I shouldn't say they didn't begin with Boeing, but they weren't just Boeing's problem. They were the regulator's problem. The regulator mm. essentially allowed Boeing, passed legislation that allowed Boeing to self-regulate. And the FAA, God bless them, went, you know, argued with these congressional uh, um you know, with these regulations that were passed and said, we don't think this is a good idea. 
But so that, you know, so then you see Congress and senators saying, you know, well, how could they have done this? But, you know, they're the, the, the politicians are the ones who enabled that legislation in the first place. So, you know, this is a very it's a complicated problem because money talks, power influences power. And that relationship between manufacturers like Boeing and uh, and uh, members of Congress who pass legislation that ease their way through regulations mm. or looks the other way through regulations uh, created a situation in which the MAX, a flawed airplane, was allowed to fly. And only when people die or come close to dying, like they did on the Alaska air flight, and, you know, everybody starts to start asking, you know, general public starts asking questions, do they feel the pressure again? Hmm. But the news cycle turns, as you well know. I mean, I'm sure you see a news cycle every every sure. time you start your show. Yeah, every hour. The news cycle <laughs> turns, and then there's we're off to something else, and it fades, and then they everybody goes back on their merry way. That's... Would you ask me the question, what would I do to fix it? I wish I could say, but this system is broken. This system is broken. Christine, I really appreciate the time this morning. I hope we can chat again in the future. And uh, terrific uh, piece in the post. I'm going to link to it on my Facebook page if people want to read it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye now. And thank you. Enjoy those Negronis. All right. If anybody wants to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to do so. I thought it was really informative and really interesting. Uh, you can do so at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.